Well, I hope you've come today ready to hear from the Lord, ready to hear from his word, and not just ready to hear it, but ready to consider how you can apply it to your life. Because if we just hear it, James, the half-brother of Jesus said, we just, we deceive ourselves. So don't merely listen, but do what it says. We're going to continue with Kid Stuff for Adults. Now, I've been requested to continue this series that was originally intended to just be a summer series. But today, we're going to finish Genesis. And so those of you who have been asking about getting the series, the entire series, uh, after this morning, you'll be able to get the entire Genesis edition of Kid Stuff for Adults. And then we're going to keep going into Exodus. This week, we're going to continue talking about Joseph who really is a superstar and a super saint. I mean, just think what we've learned about Joseph over the last couple weeks. I mean, he was one of 12 brothers, the favorite son of his father, who was betrayed by his 10 older brothers, sold into slavery into Egypt. So he goes down there, and Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard, Pharaoh's the most powerful man on earth at the time. This is at the the zenith of ancient Egypt's uh, power and influence in the world. He buys them. Joseph chooses the path of faith. He chooses not to surrender to depression, not to anger. And so therefore God exalts him to be in charge of the whole house of Potiphar. Only to catch the eye of Potiphar's wife. Who continually tried to seduce Joseph. And after an especially planned out strategic attempt. Being rejected again by Joseph, she accuses him of trying to rape her. Joseph goes into prison. Yet once again, Joseph chooses the path of faith. He doesn't sink to depression. He doesn't get angry with God. He does everything he can to work hard as he can to glorify God. And he's exalted to be second in charge of all the prison. Then he has a a, a glimpse of faith, a glimpse of hope, as we saw last week, where the the cupbearer and the baker for Pharaoh get put down into prison. They both have a dream, and and Joseph interprets the dream, and one of them is going to be executed, the baker, and he does. One of them is going to be restored to his position with Pharaoh, and so Joseph says to the cupbearer, he says, listen, when you get back up there, when you find favor with Pharaoh again, don't forget me down here. Be kind to me. Tell Pharaoh I'm down here, and, and I've never done anything wrong. But we saw the cupbearer, forgot Joseph immediately when he got restored to Pharaoh. But then we saw last week that Pharaoh had a couple dreams. And no one in the kingdom of Egypt could interpret those dreams. And it was at that moment the cupbearer says, Oh, king, now I'm reminded of my shortcomings. And he told him of the story. So they bring Joseph up before Pharaoh. Joseph is able to interpret Pharaoh's dream, and he basically says this. He says, here's what's going to happen. God has revealed this to Pharaoh, that there's going to be seven years of plenty throughout the world, record crops, record livestock. That's going to be followed by seven years of famine like the world has never known. And so he says to to Pharaoh, he says, here's what you need to do. You need to choose somebody to, to govern over your land and save up during the years of abundance for the years of famine. And so ultimately we left last week saying Joseph became that guy. And so Pharaoh says in Genesis chapter 41, verse 41, he says, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And he gives them all the things necessary, a signet ring and and a chariot and everything. And, And he puts them in charge of 
everything. So here he is again because he chose the path of faith. Now he is second in command to the entire nation of Egypt. Well, just as Joseph has said, as we continue the story today, there was seven years of abundance in Egypt. And it says in Genesis 41, verse 47 and 49, that during the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. Look what it says. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was on measure. He, they couldn't even keep records of how much they were storing up anymore. He built barns and warehouses, and they just stored away food and grain and everything they were going to need. And then, sure enough, after the seven years of plenty, the famine hit. This, there was famine all over other lands. But in the kingdom of Egypt, there was food to eat. When the famine, Genesis 41, verse 56, had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. So it wasn't just in Egypt. It was everywhere. It was a worldwide famine. Pretty soon there's no more food because the other countries, they didn't know about the coming famine. They had to store it up, and now their food supplies are gone. And so they began sending emissaries from all over the world, all these different kingdoms and countries, down to Egypt to try to buy some food. That's where our story picks up today, and it starts out humorously. At least I see humor in it. Flashback now to the land of Canaan. Now we're, we're going back to Joseph's homeland. Going back to Jacob and his brothers. Genesis chapter 42, verse 1. It says, when Jacob, that's Joseph's father, learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, I love this, why do you just keep looking at each other? I mean, can't you just see him? He said, what's wrong with you fools? Why do you just keep looking at each other? I've heard there's lots of grain down in Egypt. Now, now, now get up off your backsides and get down to Egypt and get us some food. I just love it. And don't you once again see the dysfunction of this family? Jacob looks at his older son and says, what are you just looking at each other for? I mean, they're all at each other and they're hungry and everything's. And so he says, go down there and buy some food for us that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brother went down to buy grain from Egypt. But look what it says now. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brothers, with the others because he was afraid harm might come to him. I mean, nothing has changed in this family since we left it. Once again, he takes the older brothers and puts them in harm's way, as he had repeatedly in their family history. Benjamin is the only other son that Rachel had given birth to, Jacob's favorite wife. And so he's protected. Now he has kind of taken Joseph's place as a favorite son, and he's not going to send him down there because he didn't want anything to happen to him. But you 10 other guys, you get down there and get us some food, and if things go bad, well, things go bad for you. So Genesis 42, verse 6. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. As soon as they came in, they did what every other emissary was doing from every other country, and they got before Joseph, who, who, who was second in charge of all the kingdom of, of Egypt, and they bowed down to their faces. They're going to humble themselves. 
Joseph recognized him, but they didn't recognize him. And he began to speak harshly with him. Verse, as it goes on, through, 6 through 9, Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. Remember, it was the dreams that he had about his father and about his brothers and his family that got him in trouble in the first place. He had had two dreams to where his brothers and his father and mother, they were bowing down to him. And that's one of the, that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. And one of the reasons that his 10 brothers sold him into slavery. But Joseph remembers, ah, the dreams, the dreams. And look at, they're bowing down to me, just like God had said. Years and years and years ahead. So he says to them, you're spies. That's what you are. You've come down to see where our land's unprotected. And so right away they respond, no, my Lord, no, your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, no spies. Uh, Joseph looking down, yeah, you're honest. I know about your honesty firsthand. Verse 13, your servants were 12 brothers, the son of one man who live in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. See, they're, they're saying, no, we're not spies. We're all brothers. In fact, we're all the sons of one man. And he said, one, one of our brothers, the youngest one, he's still back with our dad, and one is no more. At least that's what they thought. Unbeknownst to them, yes, he was, and they were looking at him. They were bowing down to him. They were trembling before him. He said, you're spies. Joseph said to them, it's just as I told you. You are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. He says, you're lying to me. You don't have a younger brother. Now, he knows he does. He said, here's how you're going to be tested to see if you're telling the truth. What you're going to do is, unless that brother comes here and I see him with my own eyes, then I'm going to know you're lying. And originally, he says this. He says, I'm going to keep all of you. I'm going to send one of you back to get that brother. So what he does next is he puts all three of them in prison for three days. And after three days, he brings them back. And he says, he says well, I fear God, so I've changed my mind. Instead of keeping you all, I'm going to keep one of you. And then the rest of you, you go back and mark it down. You will not see my face again unless you have your youngest brother. Now, a little more comedy. Scripture says, Genesis 42, verse 21. They said to one another, surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress is on us. Again, it brings us back to that time where they had betrayed Joseph. And they said, see, see, it's all coming back now. Don't you know, they have lived with the guilt of that ever since they had sold Joseph into slavery. And now they said, surely... That's what's going on now. We're being punished. I, I love that Reuben replies, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we have to give an accounting for his blood. I mean, have you seen that in your own family? I mean, this was a normal family. Understand, God used normal people who had dysfunctions just like we have today. But they're arguing each other. Scripture goes on to say, look what it says. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He was trying to, he knew Hebrew. 
They're speaking in Hebrew, thinking he couldn't understand it. And Joseph's catching every single word. And when they heard that, he, he had to turn away because he began to get teary-eyed. He began to weep. But then he got his composure and he turned back to them. And he had Simeon, one of the brothers, taken from them and bound before their eyes. Put him in chains. And sent him back to the prison. With the same words, unless you come back with your youngest brother, you'll never see him again. So they leave. But before they go, Joseph orders his stewards to fill their bags with grain. But to put the silver that they paid for the grain back into their bags. Every one of them. That's what he does. So he sends them off. Well, they get to the first encampment that night. And one of them needs to feed his, his, his donkey. So he breaks into his bag of grain to get some grain. For, and he sees his silver. And he goes, oh, no. And the Bible says they were terrified. Now Simeon's in jail, their brother. And, and now they're thinking that they stole the grain. In fact, they all got back home eventually and took off their sacks and opened. And every one of them found their silver in their sacks. And they were terrified. But they finally get back home, Genesis 42, 29. When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to him. They said, Dad, Dad you're not going to believe what happened. We went down there, and we went before the man. We went before the second most powerful guy in all of Egypt, and he spoke harshly with us. And he asked us all these questions, and he, and he said, unless we bring our youngest brother back to prove that we're not spies, we're, we're never going to see Simeon again. And, 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 so, and, and so Reuben, he, he jumps up and he says, listen, here, Dad, I've got two sons. On the life of my two sons, if, if what I say to you right now isn't true, then you can take the life of my two sons. I will go back there with Benjamin. And we will get Simeon, and we will be back on my word, Father, on the life of my two sons, Dad. And Jacob says, not in your life. He said, I've lost one son, and now I've lost Simeon. He says, I'm not about to lose Benjamin, too. So he says, no. Once again, he protects Benjamin. Once again, he offers Simeon up as fodder. Let's Simeon rot in prison. That's basically what he says. So that's it. Except the food they went down and bought is now gone. And the famine is not. Genesis 43, verse 1. Now the famine was still severe in the land, so when they had eaten all the grain they had bought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us more food. This time, Judah rises up. And he says, hold the phone, Dad. Back the bus up. Do you remember what we said? That guy down there said, we had better not go back without our youngest brother. So, Dad, if we're going back, Benjamin's going with us. And if you won't send Benjamin back, we're not going. Because that man down there said, don't you dare ever show up here again without your youngest brother. Jacob responds, whose name, remember, had been changed to Israel. Why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? He goes, you bunch of fools, you idiots. 
Why did you even tell them we had more back here? You, you guys are so stupid, you couldn't find your way out of a closet. What did you do that for? And they said, you don't understand what happened down there. You weren't with us. That guy, he started asking us special questions, and he thought we were spies. And he said, do you have a father? And we said, yeah, our father's still alive. And he said, do you have any brothers? Yeah, we, we, were, we were pleading for our lives, Dad. You don't understand. He said, you bunch of nerds, you bunch of idiots. But now they're hungry, and there's no way out. So finally, Jacob says, if it must be, then do this. I love Jacob. Jacob's what? He's, he's, he's the supplanter. He's the heel catcher, right? He's the manipulator. He's the con man. And he hasn't learned a thing. He says this, put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. He says, he says All right, here's how we're going to do this. He's coming up with his plan again. He says, you take some of the best products of our land and put them in your bags and take them down. Notice what the products are, by the way. A little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Think about it. You're going to send pistachio nuts to, the, to Egypt, the most powerful nation in the earth. That's going to do it. Yeah, that'll persuade them. Give them some almonds and some pistachios. Well, we know you just can't eat one. But anyhow, then he says, take double the amount of silver, for you must return the silver that was put back into your sacks. And he says, perhaps it was all just a big mistake. He says, you take double silver so that you can pay for what you bought the first time and you have money to pay for what you're going to buy the second time. And you take down a bribe and you do whatever you can and perhaps this whole thing will just, just go away. So they go back. Genesis 43, 15. So the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin was with them, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare dinner. They're going to eat with me at noon. He saw his brother. He said, all right, he said to his steward, he said, he said go kill a, an animal and, and make a feast. And at noon, they're going to come, and they're all going to eat with me. They brought Simeon back out of jail, cleaned him up, united him with his brothers. And the older brothers then, see, they were still scared. And so they went to the steward of Joseph, and they said, listen, you know, last time we were here, we, we paid for our, our grain. We really did. We're honest men. We paid, but when, when we got back home, the money was back in our sacks. Of course, the steward knew what had happened. He was the one who engineered it. And the steward says, no, your God put your money back in your sacks. He said, I know you paid me. He said, don't worry about that. Everything's okay there. So they come in, and and they have a, a feast. And, it's, and it says when, when they were eating and, and just before they were about to eat, once again, Joseph looks down. He sees his brother, Benjamin, his youngest brother. And, and it says he has to rush out of the room. And he rushes out of the room and he starts crying. He's weeping. He's overcome with emotion. Finally, he once again splashes water in his face and gets his composure. And he goes back into the room and he says, now serve the meal. And so they enjoy this, this great feast together. Everything is calmed down. Everything's okay now. They're going to leave the next day with Benjamin. They're going to go back to their father. So the next day they get up to do exactly that, except Joseph once again instructs his steward to do something. 
44, Genesis 44, verse 1. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sack with as much food as they can carry and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then he says this. Then put my cup, the silver one, in, in the, the mouth of the youngest one's sack along with the silver for his grain. So he says, here's what you do. He says, I want you to fill the bags as much as you can and I want you to put the money back in again. But the youngest brother... Not only put his silver back, but I want you to take my cup, my official cup, my silver cup, and I want you to put it in his bag too. And so the next day, they all get up, and unbeknownst to them, they head on their way. And don't you know, they're cheering, and they're celebrating. They're out of the land of Egypt. They, they're, oh, man, we survived. We lived. We got our brother. Everything's fine. We're going back. We're going to be heroes with our dad. And then Joseph says to these guys, he says, now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go catch up with them. And I want you to stop them and say, what have you done? You were treated with dignity and kindness, and, and you've done, you stole our master's cup, his cup that he uses for divination. And so they go back, and they stop him, and that's exactly what happened. They stop the brothers and say, what have you done, you treacherous? And, and they're accusing him again. And, and the oldest brother, he says, he says, no. Judah says to him, he says, no. He said, we would never do such a thing. We're honest men. He says, if you find that cup in any one of our sacks, we'll kill that person. And the rest of us will be slaves. So they get down and they quickly lower their sacks. And one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, and that's how Joseph commanded them to do it. They start opening those sacks and, uh-oh, silver. But then Benjamin, the youngest, opens his sack. And there is the cup. And Scripture says they tore their garments. That was a sign of, of pain and in desperation and in grief in ancient culture. They rent their clothes. They tore their clothes. And they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. Can you imagine that trip, huh? Now they're going back. Caught seemingly red-handed with the money that they were supposed to pay and also with the golden cup or the silver cup of the second most powerful man on planet Earth. Scripture says in Genesis 44, verse 14, when Joseph was still in the house, when Judah and his brothers came in, and they threw themselves to the ground before him, Joseph said to them, what is this that you've done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? Don't you know that I can interpret? Don't you know that you couldn't have got away with that? Judah says, what can we say to my Lord? Well, what can we say? How can we prove our innocence? He says, God has uncovered your servant's guilt. He says, we are now the Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. He says, what, what can we say? How could we ever prove our innocence? We're your slaves. Not only all of us, but, but the one who sacked the cup was. Then Joseph says to him, Joseph says to him, I, I, I could never do that. He says, far be it from me to do such a thing. He says, only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. Only the one that had the cup. 
at that, Judah becomes uncontrollable. He says, you don't understand. I, I promised my dad that I'd bring him back. I promised my dad that, that if I didn't bring Benjamin back to, for the rest of my life, I would bear responsibility for it. You don't understand. If that son doesn't come back, that Benjamin doesn't come back. He says, you don't understand. It will kill my father. My father will be inconsolable. My, my father will go to the grave. You don't understand. That can't be. And so he says, he says here, take me. I'll be your slave. But, but let this brother go back. Now, we might be tempted all along as we think of this story today that Joseph is getting his due, that Joseph is putting it on him and getting even with them. But I think the truth of the matter is all along, Joseph is testing their character, testing to see if they've changed. He's looking for a window of opportunity. He puts their money back in the sack to see if they won't come back right away when they find out and say, hey, something went wrong here. They didn't. He tested to see if they'd have compassion on their brother Simeon. But initially they didn't. In fact, later on when, when Jacob tells them to go back down and get some more food, Judah says, we could have been back there twice and back again. I mean, a lot of time had passed. And now... Joseph is testing them to see if they would do the same thing with Benjamin that they had done to him. If they had just, you keep him, we're out of here. And gone back and concocted another story to their father. But instead, Joseph saw the brokenness of his brothers. He saw the humility of his brother Judah the third oldest. And when Judah pleaded, and pleaded for the life of Benjamin, said, take me, I'll be your slave, do whatever you want to do with me. Then it says in Genesis 45, verse 1, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my place. And everyone clear the room, get out of here. Except these men. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Look what it says. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and even Pharaoh's house heard about it. All these years, all this built-up emotion, all this built-up tension, all this built-up pain in him just came out at once and he wept so loud that it just resonated through the house and even to the house of Pharaoh. Genesis 45.3 says, Joseph said to his brother, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? It says, but his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Don't you imagine they were? I mean, first of all, here is this powerful man who has the power of life and death. And all of a sudden, he seems to lose it. He's crying. He's screaming so loud that, that it's just echoing and going, what in the world? We're before a madman. We are done now. The guy's lost it. He's lost his mind. And he says, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. You remember me, the one you sold into slavery? He goes on with that. And man, they are terrified as they should be. But it's at this moment 
Joseph truly reveals his superstar status. I mean, he had done so much. He had been so faithful with God. But I want you to know, it was at this moment that he proves that he is a super saint. Scripture goes on to say, although he was confronted with a life-changing challenge, he chose a path of forgiveness. Genesis 45, verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Such intimacy. Come, come here, guys. Come, come on, surround me. Come on. Group hug. He said, come close to me. He said, when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. I don't know where he got it. I mean, how many of us have been betrayed and abused? And how many of us have been carrying that around with us? These guys, they were originally going to kill him. Yet they sell him to slavery. He's been through years and years and years of emotional ups and downs like few human beings will ever experience. But, you know, because he chose a path of faith, because somewhere, somehow, in this dysfunctional family, he had developed a real relationship with God. And he understood that even though their actions, their behaviors were treacherous, God had a bigger picture. He said, come here, guys, come here. Don't be afraid. Don't be angry with each other. God has done an amazing thing here. So this famine, it's only lasted two years, guys. It's going to be five more years. There's no way you would live. There's no way you would survive if God hadn't done what God did. And now look at me. I'm the father to Pharaoh. I, give, I father him. I give him advice. He does whatever I advise him to do. And I'm the ruler of the most powerful nation on the earth. He says, who could have done that but God? He says, now hurry back to your father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, your herds, and, and you, all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. He says, hurry back to dead. Now, that's a whole other situation they got to face. But at least I'm bringing good news, right? He says, now hurry back to dad and bring everybody down here. Now, remember, he had cried so, so loud that, that it reached the household of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh had come checking up and said, what's going on? And he tells him the story and he reveals all everything. And Pharaoh says, oh, absolutely. He says, you bring him down here. He says, in fact, you take 
carts with you to make sure that the women and the children ride comfortably. And he gave them provisions and he sends an armed guard with them to go. And so they get back to Joseph and, or back to Jacob and Jacob is overwhelmed. And first he says he wouldn't believe him. But then when he sees this entourage, he says, there's gotta be something to this. And so make a long story short, they pack up the carts and they go with the armed guard back to Egypt and there's a glorious, glorious reunion. Genesis 46, 29. Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. Don't you know Joseph couldn't wait to see his dad? And, and Joseph wanted his dad to be proud of him. Like all we boys want our dads to be proud of us. And he put on his finest and he took his chariot and he went out there and in his pomp and in his power and he wanted his dad to see what his son had become. But it says the moment he saw his dad, he jumped down off that chariot just like a little 11-year-old boy would have done and ran to his dad and threw his arms around him and together they wept loudly. What a glorious reunion. But it was only possible because Time after time, Joseph chose the path of faith. Joseph lived what the Apostle Paul would pen many, many centuries later. In his New Testament book, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we looked at the verse last week. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Everything he had gone through now had purpose and a glorious reunion. Now, what can we take home today from this? Great story. But how does it impact me? What does it have for you today? Well, understand this, is that Joseph is kind of a precursor of Christ. Joseph's brothers stood before him deserving and expecting judgment. But instead, what did they receive? They received love. Come here close, come on, come close to me. They received mercy. He said, come close to me. He says, I'm your brother. He says, it was to save lives that God brought all this to pass. Listen, we are Joseph's brothers. You want to know that? We are Joseph's brothers. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 3 says, For as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He says, that's who we were. goes on to say, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Every one of us. 
before we came to faith in Jesus Christ, were Joseph's brothers. We had been ambivalent to God. We had been rebellious to Jesus Christ. We are following our own appetites. We were following the way of the world. Just like Joseph's brothers one day stood before him, deserving judgment, deserving punishment, deserving his wrath. Just like them who received love and mercy instead. That was our experience, Ephesians 2. Four five again, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Peter said the same thing in his first New Testament letter. Chapter 2, verse 24 says, He, Jesus, himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Just like Joseph had to be sold into slavery. Just like Joseph was falsely accused of rape. Just like Joseph had gone to prison. Just like Joseph over and over again had experienced one emotional and physical trauma after another. That's exactly what Jesus did. For me and for you. So what do we take home today? Number one, accept God's forgiveness. Accept God's forgiveness. Now most of us have done that in the initial form. Maybe somewhere here hasn't. You've never accepted God's forgiveness through a relationship, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not sure what's going to happen to you when you die. You're not sure where you're going to go. You hope you're going to heaven, but you don't know it. Again, Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 8 and 9. He says, but what does it say? It says, the word is near you. It's in your mouth. In other words, it's on the tip of your tongue. It's in your heart. Right now, the Holy Spirit of God is bearing witness with you that what you are hearing is true. He says that the word of faith we are proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, he's declaring that's the only way to accept God's forgiveness. It's to transfer your confidence off of yourself The only way to accept God's forgiveness is to say, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through you. And believe in our heart that he really did die on that cross for us, was buried and rose again. Psalm 103, verse 11, 12 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, So great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. See, that's what God will do when we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. But but, but don't miss this. See, now we're not only talking about those who have never trusted Christ, now we're talking about those who have. 
See, because a lot of us get paralyzed in our past. Although we, we have trusted Jesus and we say, okay, I believe Jesus and you are Lord and I believe my heart that you were raised from the dead and, and, and I trust you with my eternal soul. Although we do that, so many of us get stuck in the memories and the guilt and the shame of, of living that life we lived before that time or in the things that we have done since that moment. Do you know later in our story, after Jacob dies, the older brothers all get together again because now they're afraid now that Jacob is dead, that Joseph's going to come after him, kind of like the Godfather part two, you know, Michael Corleone. And so they concoct another plan and they say, let's go to our brother and we'll tell him this. We'll say, hey, your father, and that's exactly how they said, they said your father, not our father, they said your father. You remember the one who loved you more than us? He said for us to tell you that you should not take any action against us, that you should forgive us, and that you should continue to take care of us and all that. And so they, they went back and they told Joseph that, and Joseph saw right through it. But because Joseph is a precursor of Christ, he even at that moment, he said, He's, I'm not going to do anything. Don't you know by now if I was going to do something, I would have done it? And see, but so many of us get paralyzed in the sin that we continue to carry because we won't accept that when God forgives sin, he forgives sin. And he doesn't remember it anymore. And he parts it as far as the east is from the west. And yet we allow Satan and we allow others and we allow ourselves to keep enslaved to the shame and the guilt. Listen, accept God's forgiveness, he's forgiven you. Don't live there any longer. Don't let it control you anymore. Don't let it shame you. You're not going to live life perfectly. I'm not living life perfectly. But our sins are forgiven. He won't even remember them when we stand before him. Is that a license to sin? No. Why? Because you'll lose your confidence in your relationship with God. Accept God's forgiveness. Second, be a Joseph. Say, how do I be a Joseph? Choose the path of forgiveness. Choose the path of forgiveness. There's not a man or woman here who hasn't felt the sting of betrayal in some relationship. There are many men and women here who beyond that have felt the physical sting of abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. There's some here today who have felt the sting of verbal abuse. Stabbed in the back, the knife has been twisted. And from a human perspective, have every right to be bitter, every right to be angry, every right to seek vengeance. But Jesus says this, through Paul in Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Hey, hey mark it down. No one's getting away with nothing. No one's getting away with anything. One day we'll all stand before 
the righteous judge, and he will merit out judgment where judgment is due. Now, why does he say that? He says that because we can't carry bitterness without it biting us. We can't carry around fantasies of revenge without it impacting us negatively. We, we can't do that and still have fellowship with the Lord in the way he wants us to do it because we will be consumed, we will be overwhelmed with our own pain and our own bitterness. He says, you, you, you're not wired to carry that kind of pain. You, you give that to me. I'll carry it for you. I'll take care of it. Trust me in this. I will judge. Instead, Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. The pinnacle of Joseph was not just choosing the path of faith through his trials. The pinnacle, what made him a superstar, what made him a super saint, was forgiving his brothers. And you know what? That is the hallmark of Christianity. It's not how loud we sing. It's not how hard we pray. It's not how much scripture we can quote. The hallmark of Christianity is embracing forgiveness as God has forgiven us. See, that's where people see our lives and say, that's real faith. That's a real difference. Jesus really does have the power to change lives. Ah, listen today. Be a Joseph. Don't hang on to that pain anymore. Don't hang on to it. Let's bow our heads. Joseph was indeed a super saint. He indeed was a superstar, but he was just a man. He was just a man. He was a person just like you and me. And as we've learned through his life, we don't always have control of our circumstances. But we always have control of our choice of how we respond to our circumstances. Oh, today, accept Christ's forgiveness. If you've never done that, do that right now. Just, just say, I'm not carrying it anymore, Jesus. You don't want me to. You, you're not holding on to it, and you don't want me to hold on to it. It's, it's taken care of. Let me just trust that. Let me, let me not let it control me anymore. Let me not control my thoughts. Let me not control my behavior. Let me just give it to you and, and, and just serve you with all my heart, starting right now. Or maybe right now in the service, the Holy Spirit has brought somebody to your mind that you need to forgive. Now, it's not, forgiveness is not pretending it didn't happen. Forgiveness is not putting yourself in a dangerous place again. Here's what forgiveness is, biblically, God. It's not wishing harm on anyone any longer. It's not entertaining thoughts of vengeance. God, help us right now to give that to you. Help us to do what your word says, to, to make room for you to do what you're going to do because you see it all. You know it all. And God, help us not to carry that because that bitterness will destroy us and destroy other relationships. So as the little course says,
God, right now, we sing to you, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender all. Use us for your glory. Heal us. Take us from the prison to the palace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.